On this episode of the Blue Jacketeer podcast, we will be covering part four for chapter six of the Corman Manual. Welcome to the Blue Jacketeer podcast, where we help you prepare for the Navy-wide advancement exam by covering study material created by highly qualified sailors. Learn more about what we have to offer at www.bluejacketeer.com. Let's begin. Welcome back to the bluejacketeer.com podcast for hospital corpsmen. I'm Taylor Larson. Here at Blue Jacketeer, we aim to bring you the tools you need to be successful on the Navy-wide advancement exam. On this episode, we will continue with the hospital corpsman manual covering chapter 6, part 4. Be sure to pay attention because on the next episode, you will be quizzed on what you learned today. Without further delay, let's get started. Sit back, relax, and listen up. This is part four for chapter six of the Hospital Corpsman Manual, Human Anatomy and Physiology. The first body system we will cover today is the system dealing with taste, smell, pressure, heat, cold, pain, or touch. Positional changes, balance, hunger, and thirst sensations are also detected and passed on to the brain, through this system known as the sensory system. Odor is perceived upon stimulation of the receptor cells in the olfactory membrane of the nose. Taste is identified by taste buds located on the tongue. The sensation of taste is limited to sour, sweet, bitter, savory, and salty. It does not matter where on the tongue an object is placed, it can detect different tastes everywhere on the tongue. The eye, the organ of sight, is a specialized structure for the reception of light. It is assisted in its function by accessory structures such as eyebrows, eyelashes, eyelids, and the lacrimal apparatus. Let's dive deeper into sight by going over the structures of the eye. The eye is not a solid sphere, but it contains a large interior cavity that is divided into two more cavities the anterior and posterior. The anterior cavity is further subdivided into anterior and posterior chambers. The anterior cavity of the eye lies right in front of the lens. The anterior chamber of the anterior cavity is the space anterior to the iris, but posterior to the cornea. The posterior chamber of the anterior cavity consists of a small space directly posterior to the iris, but anterior to the lens. Both chambers of the anterior cavity are filled with a clear watery fluid called aqueous humor, which helps to give the cornea its curved shape. The posterior cavity of the eye is larger than the anterior cavity, occupying the entire space posterior to the lens to include suspensory ligaments and the ciliary body. The posterior cavity contains a substance called vitreous humor. The eyeball itself is composed of three layers, sclera, choroid, and retina. The most outer layer is the sclera. It is a tough, fibrous, protective portion of the globe. The anterior outer layer of the sclera is transparent and is called the cornea or the window of the eye. The exposed sclera is covered with a mucous membrane, the conjunctiva, which is a continuation of the inner lining of the eyelids. The lacrimal gland produces tears that constantly wash the front part of the eye and the conjunctiva. 
excess secretions flow toward the inner angle of the eye, the canthus, and drain down ducts into the nose. The middle layer of the eye is the choroid. It is a highly vascular pigmented tissue that provides nourishment to the inner structures. Continuous with the choroid is the ciliary body. The ciliary body is formed by a thickening of the choroid and fits like a collar into the area between the retina and the iris. The iris is continuous with the ciliary body. It is a circular, pigmented, muscular structure that gives color to the eye. The iris separates the anterior cavity into anterior and posterior chambers. The opening of the iris is called the pupil. The size and reaction of the pupils of the eyes are an important diagnostic tool. The lens is a transparent, biconvex structure suspended directly behind the iris. The lens separates the eye into anterior and posterior cavities. The inner layer of the eye is the retina. It contains layers of nerve cells, rods, and cones, which are receptors of the sense of vision. It is continuous with the optic nerve, entering the back of the globe, carrying visual impulses received by the rods and cones to the brain. The actual vision process begins with rays of light from an object passing through the cornea. The image is then received by the lens by way of the iris. Leaving the lens, the image falls on the rods and cones inside the retina. The image is then sent by the optic nerve to the brain for interpretation. Three terms are associated with the vision process. The deflection of light in the eye is called refraction. Accommodation is the process by which the lens increases or decreases its curvature to reflect light rays into focus on the fovea centralis. Convergence is the movement of the globes toward the midline and causes a viewed object to come into focus on corresponding points of the two retinas, thus producing a clear three-dimensional vision. The sense of hearing is another important component of the sensory system. The ear is the primary organ of hearing and the sense organ for balance. The ear itself is divided into three parts. The external, middle, and inner ear. The external ear is composed of two parts, the auricle and the external auditory canal. The auricle connects sound waves from the environment that is conducted by the external auditory canal to the eardrum. The tympanic membrane, or eardrum, is an oval sheet of fibrous epithelial tissue that stretches across the inner end of the external auditory canal and separates the outer and middle ear. Sound waves cause the eardrum to vibrate. This vibration transfers the sound from the external environment to the auditory ossicles. The middle ear is a cavity inside the temporal bone, lined with epithelium. It contains three auditory ossicles, the malleus, the incus, and the stapes, which transmit vibrations from the tympanic membrane to the fluid in the inner ear. The base of the stapes is attached to the oval window, the membrane-covered opening of the inner ear. These three tiny bones, which span the middle ear, are suspended from bony walls by ligaments. 
This arrangement provides the mechanical means for transmitting sound vibrations to the inner ear. The eustachian tube, or auditory tube, connects the middle ear with the nasopharynx. It functions to equalize internal and external air pressure. The inner ear is filled with a fluid called endolymph. Sound vibrations cause the stapes to move against the oval window, creating internal ripples that run through the endolymph. These pressurized ripples move to the cochlea. The organ of hearing in the inner ear is known as the organ of corti. The cells protruding from the organ of corti are stimulated by the ripples to convert these mechanical vibrations into nerve impulses. These impulses are relayed through the vestibulocochlear nerve to the auditory area of the cortex in the temporal lobe of the brain. The vestibule constitutes the central section of the bony labyrinth. The bony labyrinth opens to the oval window as well as the three semicircular canals which are situated at right angles to each other. Movement of the endolymph within the canals caused by general body movements stimulates nerve endings, which report these changes in body position to the brain, which in turn uses this information to maintain our equilibrium. The last sense we're going to cover is that of touch. Nerve ending receptors are considered to be sensory organs. These provide the body with the general senses of touch, temperature, and pain. These receptors also initiate reactions or reflexes in the body to maintain homeostasis. Receptors are classified according to location, structure, and type of stimuli activating them. Classified according to location, the three types of receptors are as follows. Superficial receptors, deep receptors, and internal receptors. Each type of receptor is used for a different sensation. Superficial receptors sense touch, pressure, heat, cold, and pain. Deep receptors sense position and movement. Internal receptors usually do not deal much with senses except in the case of hunger, nausea, pain from stimuli such as chemicals, as well as distension. The next system in our exploration of the human body is the endocrine system. This system works together with the nervous system to promote homeostasis in the body, or a constant state of balance. The endocrine system sends messages by way of chemical messengers called hormones. Minute amounts of these hormones are secreted from endocrine glands into the blood and distributed by the circulatory system. Cells that are affected by the hormone are referred to as target organ cells. The hormone-producing glands include the hypothalamus, pituitary, pineal, thyroid, parathyroid, adrenals, pancreas, gonads, placenta, and thymus. The hypothalamus synthesizes chemicals that are secreted to the pituitary gland to release hormones and to help regulate body temperature. The pituitary gland is a small, pea-sized gland located at the base of the brain and is often called the master gland of the body, as it influences many other endocrine glands. Although the pituitary looks just like one gland, it actually consists of two separate, 
the anterior pituitary gland, and the posterior pituitary gland. The anterior pituitary gland has five main secretions, somatotrophs, thyrotrophs, gonadotrophs, corticotrophs, and lactotrophs. The posterior pituitary gland stores two hormones, antidiuretic hormone and oxytocin. The pineal gland or pineal body is a tiny structure resembling a pine nut located on the dorsal aspect of the brain's diencephalons region. It produces small amounts of many hormones, the main being melatonin. The thyroid gland, shaped like a butterfly, lies in the anterior part of the neck below the larynx. It secretes the iodine-containing hormone thyroxin, which controls the rate of cell metabolism. Parathyroid glands are four small round bodies located just posterior to the thyroid gland. Their hormone, parathormone, regulates the calcium and phosphorus content of the blood and bones. The adrenal glands are located on the superior surface of each kidney. They consist of an outer portion, the cortex, and an inner portion, the medulla. Specialized cells in the outer layer of the adrenal cortex produce three types of steroid hormones that are of vital importance. Mineralocorticoids, glucocorticoids, and sex hormones known as gonadocorticoids. The adrenal medulla secretes epinephrine or adrenaline. It also produces norepinephrine, a chemical precursor to epinephrine. Despite these marked influences, the medullary tissue of the adrenal gland is not essential to life because its various functions can be assumed by other regulatory mechanisms. The pancreas contains exocrine and endocrine tissues. The exocrine tissue secretes digestive juice through a duct to the small intestine, while the endocrine tissue releases hormones into body fluids. The pancreas is composed of groups of cells known as the islets of Langerhans. They contain three types of endocrine cells, alpha, beta, and delta. Alpha cells secrete the hormone glucagon. Beta cells secrete insulin, which is essential to carbohydrate metabolism. And delta cells produce the hormone somatostasin. Gonads are another important component of the endocrine system. The term gonad refers to the primary sex organs of the reproductive system. The male gonad is the testes. The testes produce and secrete the male hormone testosterone. The female gonad, the ovaries, produces the hormone estrogen and progesterone. Next is the placenta. This is the tissue that forms on the lining of the uterus as an interface between the circulatory systems of the mother and developing child. During this time, it serves as a temporary endocrine gland, producing the hormone HCG, or human chorionic gonadotropin. As we move on, take a second to take a deep breath. That breath you just took is a function of our next system, the respiratory system. Respiration is the exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide between the atmosphere and the cells of the body. There are two phases of respiration in the body. 
The first is known as mechanical or external respiration. It involves the motion of the diaphragm and ribcage. The second phase is physiological or internal respiration. It involves an exchange of gases, oxygen and carbon dioxide, at two points in the body. Air enters the nasal chambers and the mouth, then passes through the pharynx, larynx, trachea, and bronchi into the bronchioles. Each bronchiole is surrounded by a cluster of alveoli. The pharynx, or throat, serves both the respiratory and digestive systems, and aids in speech. It has a mucous membrane lining that traps microscopic particles in the air, and aids in adjusting temperature and humidifying inspired or inhaled air. The pharynx connects with the mouth and nasal chambers posteriorly. It is further divided into the nasopharynx, oropharynx, and the laryngopharynx. The epiglottis is a lid-like, leaf-shaped, cartilaginous structure that covers the entrance to the larynx and separates it from the pharynx. The larynx, or voice box, is a triangular cartilaginous structure located between the tongue and the trachea. The larynx is responsible for the production of vocal sound. The trachea, or windpipe, begins at the lower end of the larynx and terminates by dividing into the right and left bronchi. It is composed of 16 to 20 C-shaped cartilaginous rings, incomplete on the posterior surface, embedded in a fibrous membrane that supports its walls, preventing their collapse. The trachea splits into two primary bronchi, the right being larger and more vertical than the left. This is where they enter the lungs. Once entering the lungs, they immediately divide into smaller branches to carry air to each lung, and further divide into the bronchioles. They terminate at the alveoli. The alveoli are thin, microscopic air sacs within the lungs. They are in direct contact with the pulmonary capillaries. It is here that oxygen exchanges with carbon dioxide by means of a diffusion process through the alveolar and capillary cell walls. There are two lungs where the alveoli are housed, one on the right, and one on the left. The right lung is larger than the left and is composed of three lobes, whereas the left lung only has two. The diaphragm is the primary muscle of respiration. It is a dome-shaped muscle and separates the thoracic and abdominal cavities. Contraction of this muscle flattens the dome and expands the vertical diameter of the chest cavity by descending into the abdominal cavity. The intercostal muscles are situated between the ribs. Their contraction pulls the ribs upward and out, resulting in an increase in the transverse diameter of the chest. Inhalation is the direct result of the expansion created by the diaphragm. The increase in chest volume creates a negative pressure in the pleural cavity and lungs. Air rushes into the lungs through the mouth and nose to equalize the pressure. Exhalation results when the muscles of respiration relax. Pressure is exerted inwardly as muscles and bones return to their normal position, forcing air from the lungs. The nerve controlling the diaphragm is called the phrenic nerve. 
the nerve controlling the larynx is the vagus nerve. And the nerves controlling the muscles between the ribs are intercostal nerves. The respiratory center is stimulated by chemical changes in the blood. When too much carbon dioxide accumulates in the bloodstream, this causes the blood to become acidic. The respiratory center signals the lungs to breathe faster to get rid of the carbon dioxide. The respiratory center can be stimulated or depressed by a signal from the brain. Muscles of respiration normally act automatically, with normal respiration being 14 to 18 cycles per minute. The lungs, when filled to capacity, hold about 6,200 milliliters of air, but only 500 milliliters of air is exchanged with each breath. This exchange air is called tidal air. The amount of air left in the lungs after forceful exhalation is about 1,200 milliliters and is known as residual air. Our next system to cover is the digestive system. The digestive system includes organs that digest and absorb food substances and eliminate unused residuals. Digestion is both mechanical and chemical. Mechanical digestion occurs when food is chewed, swallowed, and propelled by a wave-like motion called a peristalsis. When peristalsis occurs, a ring of reflex contraction appears in the walls of the alimentary canal. As the wave moves along, it pushes the canal's contents ahead of it. Chemical digestion consists of changing the various food substances, with the aid of digestive enzymes, into solutions and simple compounds. Once food substances have been broken down into simple compounds, the cells of the body can absorb and use them. The alimentary canal or tract is 9 meters in length, tubular, and includes the mouth, pharynx, esophagus, stomach, small intestine, and large intestine. The mouth is adapted to receive food and prepare it for digestion. It works mechanically to reduce the size of solid particles and mixes them with saliva. This process is called mastication. Deglutition is the swallowing of food and involves a complex and coordinated process. It is divided into three phases. Phase one is the oral stage, the collection and swallowing of masticated food. Phase two is the pharyngeal stage, the passage of food through the pharynx into the beginning of the esophagus. Phase three is the esophageal phase, the passage of food into the stomach. The pharynx is the passageway between the mouth and the esophagus and is shared with the respiratory tract. The epiglottis is a cartilaginous flap that closes the opening to the larynx when food is being swallowed, down to the pharynx, preventing aspiration. The esophagus is a muscular tube about 25 centimeters or 10 inches long and pierces the diaphragm on its way to the stomach. It is the passageway between the pharynx and the stomachs. The stomach acts as an internal storehouse for swallowed material and helps in the chemical breakdown of food substances. It connects the lower end of the esophagus with the first portion of the small intestine. The stomach is divided into the cardiac, fundus, body, and pyloric regions. 
The chemical breakdown of food in the stomach is accomplished through the production of digestive juices, enzymes by small gastric glands in the wall of the stomach. The principal digestive enzyme produced by the gastric glands is pepsinogen, along with a secondary enzyme, hydrochloric acid. Hydrochloric acid activates pepsin from pepsinogen. Pepsin is a protein-splitting enzyme capable of beginning the digestion of nearly all types of dietary proteins. The small intestine is a muscular, convoluted, coiled tube about 7 meters or 23 feet long. It is divided into three continuous parts, the duodenum, jejunum, and ileum. The large intestine is so-called because it is larger in diameter than the small intestine. It is considerably shorter, however, being about 1.5 meters long. It is divided into three parts, the cecum, colon, and rectum. The rectum is approximately 17 to 20 centimeters long, and it follows the contour of the sacrum and coccyx until it curves back into the short 2.5 centimeter anal canal. The accessory organs of digestion include salivary glands, pancreas, liver, and gallbladder. The salivary glands are located in the mouth. Within the salivary glands are two types of secretory cells, serous cells and mucus cells. The serous cells produce a watery fluid containing a digestive juice called amylase. The mucus cells secrete thick, sticky liquid called mucus. The pancreas is a large, elongated gland lying posterior to the stomach. The pancreas has two functions. It serves both the endocrine system and the digestive system. The digestive portion of the pancreas produces digestive juices, amylase, proteinase, and lipase, that are secreted through the pancreatic duct to the duodenum. The liver is the largest gland in the body. It is located in the upper abdomen on the right side, just under the diaphragm, and superior to the duodenum and pylorus. The gallbladder is a pear-shaped sac stained dark green by the bile it contains. It is located in the hollow underside of the liver. Its duct, the cystic duct, joins the hepatic duct from the liver to form the common bile duct, which enters the duodenum. As we near our end of the coverage of the body systems, we arrive at the urinary system. The urinary system is the primary filtering system of the body. This system is composed of two main organs, the kidneys and urinary bladder. The bladder, ureters, and urethra store and pass the products of the kidney. The kidneys are two large bean-shaped organs, approximately 11 centimeters by 7 by 3, designed to filter waste materials from the blood. They assist in controlling the rate of red blood cell formation and in the regulation of blood pressure, the absorption of calcium ions, and the volume, composition, and pH of body fluids. 
the lateral surface of the kidneys is convex in shape, and the medial side is deeply concave. The medial side of each kidney possesses a depression that leads to the hollow chamber called the renal sinus. The superior end of the ureter forms a funnel-shaped sac called the renal pelvis. The renal pelvis is divided into two or three tubes called major calluses. The major calluses are further subdivided into minor calluses. The principal portion of the kidney is divided into two distinct regions, an inner medulla and outer cortex. The renal medulla is composed of pyramid-shaped masses of tubes and tubules called renal pyramids. Renal pyramids drain the urine into the renal pelvis. The renal cortex forms a shell over the renal medulla. Renal cortex tissue dips down like fingers between the renal pyramids and forms renal columns. The cortex possesses very small tubes associated with nephrons, the functional unit of the kidneys. The kidneys are effective blood purifiers and fluid balance regulators. In addition to maintaining a normal pH of the blood, the kidneys keep the blood slightly alkaline by removing excess substances from it. Urine is formed through a series of processes in the nephron. These processes are filtration, reabsorption, and secretion. The urinary bladder functions as a temporary reservoir for urine. The bladder possesses features that enable urine to enter, be stored, and later be evacuated from the body. The bladder is a hollow, expandable, muscular organ located in the pelvic girdle. Micturation is the process by which urine is expelled from the bladder. It involves the contraction of the detrusor muscle and pressure from surrounding structures to expel the urine. Urination is usually stimulated by the distension of the bladder as it fills with urine. When the walls of the bladder contract, nerve receptors are stimulated and the urination reflex is triggered. The bladder can hold up to 600 milliliters of urine. The desire to urinate may not occur until the bladder contains 250 or 300 milliliters. The urethra is the tube that carries urine from the bladder to the outside of the body. The female urethra is about 4 centimeters long, extending from the bladder to the external orifice. The male urethra is about 20 centimeters long and is divided into three parts, the prostatic, membranous, and penile portions. Our last body system to cover is the male and female reproductive system. First, we will talk over the male reproductive system. The primary male sex organs of the reproductive system are the testes. Other structures of the male reproductive system are termed accessory reproductive organs. Testes produce sperm cells and male hormones which are needed for reproduction. The testes are oval glands suspended inside a sac, the scrotum, by a spermatic cord. The spermatic cords are formed by the vas deferens, arteries, veins, lymphatics, and nerves, all bound together by connective tissue. The interior of the testes is divided into 200 or more 
cone-shaped lobules containing one to three highly coiled convoluted tubules called seminiferous tubules. These tubules unite to form a complex network of channels called the reet testis. The reet testis give rise to several different ductules that join a tube called the epididymis. The testes perform two functions, to produce sperm cells and to secrete male sex hormones. The process by which sperm cells are produced is called spermatogenesis. The male hormone testosterone is also produced in the testes. The internal accessory organs of the male reproductive system include the epididymis, vas deferens, ejaculatory ducts, seminal vesicle, urethra, prostate gland, bulborethral glands, and semen. The external accessory organs of the male reproductive system include the scrotum and penis. The female reproductive system is composed of organs that are specialized to produce and maintain the female sex cells, or egg cells, to transport these cells to the site of fertilization, to provide an environment for a developing offspring, to move the offspring outside, and to produce female sex hormones. The primary female reproductive organs are the ovaries. The accessory organs include both internal and external reproductive organs. The ovaries, or female gonads, are two almond-shaped glands suspended by ligaments in the upper pelvic cavity. One ovary on each side of the uterus, the tissues of an ovary are divided into two regions, an inner medulla and an outer cortex. Female sex hormones of estrogen and progesterone are produced by the ovaries and various other tissues, such as the adrenal glands, pituitary glands, and placenta. The primary source for estrogen is the ovaries. The ovaries are the primary source of progesterone in a non-pregnant female. This hormone promotes changes that occur in the uterus during the female reproductive cycle. The internal accessory organs of the female reproductive system include a pair of fallopian tubes, the uterus, and the vagina. The external accessory organs of the female reproductive system are referred to collectively as the vulva. The vulva includes the labia majora, the labia minora, the clitoris, and the vestibular glands. The mammary glands are also considered an accessory organ. This concludes our lesson for part four of chapter six of the Hospital Corman Manual. I hope that you are not only able to learn something, but also apply some of the information in this chapter to your daily duties. Remember, at Blue Jacketeer, we bring you the very best in advancement exam preparation. Don't forget to check out our next podcast where we will be covering chapter seven of the Hospital Corman Manual. As always, I'm Petty Officer Second Class Taylor Larson, Reminding you to stay Navy and always keep working for that next rank. Thank you.